Chapter Twenty Nine of Scarhaven Keep. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Scarhaven Keep by Joseph Smith Fletcher. Chapter Twenty Nine. Scarvell's Cut. The quiet place was a narrow alley which, opening out of the market square in which the car had come to a halt, suddenly twisted away into a labyrinth of ancient buildings that lay between the centre of the town and the river. Not until Spurge had conducted Copplestone quite away from their late companions did he turn and speak. When he spoke, his words were accompanied by a glance which suggested mystery as well as confidence. Governor, he said, what's going to be done? "'Have you pulled me down here to ask that?' exclaimed Copplestone, a little impatiently. "'Good heavens, man, with all these complications arising, the gold gone, the squire dead, why, there'll have to be a pretty deep consultation, of course. We'd better get back to it.' But Spurge shook his head. "'Not me, Governor,' he said resolutely. "'I ain't no opinion o' consultations with lawyers and policemen, plain clothes or otherwise.' They ain't no mortal good whatever, Governor, when it comes to horse sense. Cause why? Tain't their fault. It's the system. They can't do nothing, start nothing, suggest nothing. They can only do things in the official, cut-and-dried, red-tape way, Governor. You and me can do better. Well? asked Copplestone. Listen, continued Spurge. There ain't no doubt that that gold was carried off early this morning must have been between the time I left Jim and Sun up, cause they'd want to do the job in darkness. Ain't no reasonable doubt, neither, that the motor-car what they used came here into Norcaster. Now, Governor, I ask you, where is it possible they'd make for? Not a railway station, cause them boxes would be conspicuous and easy-traced when inquiry was made, and yet they'd want to get em away as soon as possible. Very well. What's the other way of getting any stuff out of Norcaster? what why that he jerked his thumb in the direction of a patch of grey water which shone dully at the end of the alley and while his thumb jerked his eye winked the river he went on the river governor don't this here river running into the free and bounding ocean six miles away offer the best chance what we want to do is to take a look round these here docks and quays and wharves keeping our eyes open, and our ears as well. Come on with me, Governor. I know places all along this riverside where you could hide the Bank of England till it was wanted, so to speak. But the others, suggested Copplestone, hadn't we better fetch them? No, retorted Spurge assertively. Two of us is enough. You trust to me, Governor. I'll find out something. I know these docks, and all that's alongside em. I'd do the job myself now, but it'd be better to have somebody along of me, in case we want a message sending for help or anything of that nature. Come on. And if I don't find out before noon if there's any queer craft gone out of this place since morning, why, then, I ain't what I believe myself to be. Copplestone, who had considerable faith in the poacher's shrewdness, allowed himself to be led into the lowest part of the town, low in more than one sense of the word. Norcaster itself, as regards its ancient and time-hallowed portions, its church, its castle, its official buildings and highly respectable houses, stood on the top of a low hill, 
its docks and wharves and the mean streets which intersected them had been made on a stretch of marshland that lay between the foot of that hill and the river and down there was the smell of tar and of merchandise and narrow alleys full of sea-going men and raucous-voiced women and queer nooks and corners and ships being laden and ships being stripped of their cargoes and such noise and confusion and inextricable mingling and elbowing that copplestone thought it was as likely to find a needle in a haystack as to make anything out of relating to the quest they were engaged in but zachary spurge leading him in and out of the throngs on the wharves now taking a look into a dock now inspecting a key now stopping to exchange a word or two with taciturn gentlemen who sucked their pipes at the corners of narrow streets now going into shady-looking public-houses by one door and coming out at another seemed to be remarkably well satisfied with his doings and kept remarking to his companion that they would hear something yet nevertheless by noon they had heard nothing and copplestone who considered casual search of this sort utterly purposeless announced that he was going to more savoury neighbourhoods give it another turn governor urged spurge have a bit of faith in me now you see governor i've an idea a theory as you might term it of my very own only time's too short to go into details like trust me a bit longer governor there's a spot or two down here that i'm fair keen on taking a look at come on governor once more this is scarvel's cut he drew his unwilling companion round a corner of the wharf which they were just then patrolling and showed him a narrow creek which hemmed in by ancient buildings some of them half ruinous sail lofts and sheds full of odds and ends of merchandise cut into the land at an irregular angle and was at that moment affording harbourage to a mass of small vessels just then lying high and dry on the banks from which the tide had retreated along the side of this creek there was just as much crowding and confusion as on the wider quays men were going in and out of the sheds and lofts men were busy about the sides of the small craft and again the feeling of uselessness came over copplestone what's the good of all this spurge he exclaimed testily you'll never spurge suddenly laid a grip on his companion's elbow and twisted him aside into a narrow entry between the sheds that's the good he answered in an exulting voice look there governor look at that north sea tug that one lying out there whose face is now a peepin out of that hatch come now copplestone looked in the direction which spurge indicated there lying moored to the wharf at a point exactly opposite a tumble-down sail-loft was one of those strongly built tugs which ply between the fishing fleets and the ports it was an eminently business-looking craft rakish for its class and it bore marks of much recent sea-usage but copplestone gave no more than a passing glance at it what attracted and fascinated his eyes was the face of a man who had come up from her depths and was looking out of a hatchway on the top deck looking expectantly at the sail-loft there was grime and oil on that face and the neck which supported the unkempt head rose out of a rough jersey but copplestone recognized his man smartly enough in spite of the attempt to look like a tug-deck hand there was no mistaking the skipper of the pike good heavens he muttered as he stared across the crowded quay andreas right you are governor whispered spurge 
it's that very same and no mistake and now you'll perhaps see how i put things together like no doubt those folk as sent sir cresswell that message did see the pike going east last evening just so but there wasn't no reason considering what that chap and his lot had at stake why they shouldn't put him and one or two more very likely on one of the many tugs that's to be met with out there off the fishing grounds what i conclude they did governor was to charter one of them tugs and run her in here and i expect they've got the stuff on board her now and when the tide comes up out they'll go and be off into the free and open again to pick the pike up somewhere twixt here and the dogger bank ah smartens they are no doubt but we've got em not yet said copplestone what are we to do better go back and get help eh he was keenly watching andreas and as the skipper of the pike suddenly moved he drew spurge further into the alley he's coming out of that hatchway whispered copplestone if he comes ashore he'll see us and then no matter governor said spurge reassuringly they can't get out of scarbell's cut into the river till the tide serves yes that's captain andreas right enough and he's coming ashore andreas had by that time drawn himself out of the hatchway and now revealed himself in the jersey the thick legwear and short sea-boots of an ocean-going man copplestone's recollection of him as he showed himself on board the pike was of a very smartly attired rather dandified person only some deep scheme he knew would have caused him to assume this disguise and he watched him with interest as he rolled ashore and disappeared within the lower story of the sail-loft spurge too watched with all his eyes and he turned to copplestone with a gleam of excitement governor he said we've trapped him beautiful i know that place i've worked in there in my time i know a way into it from the back we'll get in that way and see what's being done tain't worked no longer that sail-loft it's all falling to pieces but first help how are we to get that asked copplestone eagerly i'll go it replied spurge I know a man just aback of here that'll run up to the town with a message, chap that can be trusted, sure and faithful. Bide here five minutes, sir. I'll send a message to Mr. Vickers. This chap'll know him and'll find him. He can come down with the rest, and the police, too, if he likes. Keep your eyes skinned, Governor. He twisted away like an eel into the crowd of workers and idlers, and left Copplestone at the entrance to an alley, watching, and he had not been so left more than a couple of minutes when a woman slipped past the mouth of the alley, swiftly, quietly, looking neither to right nor left, of whose veiled head and face he caught one glance, and in that glance he recognized her, Addie Chatfield. But in the moment of that glance, Copplestone also recognized something vastly more important. Here was the explanation of the mystery of the early morning doings at the old tower the footprints of a woman who wore fashionable and elegant boots addie chatfield of course was she not old peter's daughter a chip of the old block even though a feminine chip and did not he and gilling know that she had been mixed up with peter at the bristol affair great scott why of course addie was an accomplice in all these things if copplestone had the least shadow of doubt remaining in his mind as to this conclusion it was utterly dissipated when peering cautiously round the corner of his hiding-place 
he saw addy disappear within the old sail-loft into which andreas had betaken himself of course she had gone to join her fellow-conspirators he began to fume and fret cursing himself for allowing spurge to bring him down there alone if only they had had gilling and vickers with them armed as they were all right governor spurge suddenly whispered at his shoulder they'll be here in a quarter of an hour i telephoned to em do you know what exclaimed copplestone excitedly old chatfield's daughter's gone in there where andreas went just now what the play-actress said spurge you don't say governor ha huh, that explains everything that's the missing link ha huh. but we'll know soon what they're after mr copplestone follow me quiet as a mouse once more submitting to be led copplestone followed his queer guide along the alley End of chapter 29